Welcome to the UnPodcast. UnProjects focuses on artists, writers, artist-run initiatives and independent projects. It publishes essays, artists' work and reviews, in print and online. UnProjects also presents exhibitions, talks and other one-off contemporary art-related events. This is the second in a series of long-form interviews which dig into what an artist does and perhaps why they do it. You can find images to accompany these podcasts at unprojects.org.au. This podcast is available to stream on SoundCloud and through iTunes. In this episode, we speak to Saskia Doherty, a Melbourne-based artist whose multi-layered and multidisciplinary practice examines language, geology, and entropy. Saskia is an artist and writer based in Nam, Melbourne. Her work encompasses sculpture, drawing, writing, performance, sound, and installation. Her practice examines and aims to unpack structures that turn memory into static form. Etymology, photographs, fossils, institutions. Saskia has exhibited in Australia and overseas since graduating with a BFA honours from Monash University in 2013 and has written several pieces of writing and poetry for Australian publications. My name's Sarah and I'll be taking you through the next hour with Saskia speaking about how she uses language to create a sense of slipperiness, about poetry, materiality, and more. We'll start off here with an excerpt from one of Saskia's works, Silicate, Silicate, Silicate. A crime scene photographer is captured in a flash, leaning on the couch. He slouches toward another body. The silver highlights stowed away in his camera presumably reveal the decomposition of flesh. His body against the plant matter of the couch. Paper retells the crimes in triplicate and light as the accomplice. The tall weeds surrounding the sculpture remain motionless, like the in a Greek tragedy waiting with bated breath <laughs> for an oracle to be handed down last night I had a dream in which concrete dust had invaded the air and everywhere I went it found its way into my lungs I repeated the word silicate over and over part identification, part curse people didn't seem to comprehend it it was as if I was speaking a different language spending plenty of time on something <laughs> can be the most sophisticated form of revenge I guess when I say change what I really mean is record capture, here's another one one illuminated strings that appear almost beaded stretch up into space protruding from a rocky surface hang on i've got it upside down as it turns out glowworms are about arachnid <laughs> this is characterized most obviously in the way they capture their food a sticky luminescent string hanging down from the surface of a cave the light attracts insects and the traction of the string collects them philip k dick once called spiders the fishermen of the night being in the caves is a rearrangement of scale and perception <laughs> Tiny grubs become constellations, each small body a star, accumulating the fuel that will take it through its entire adult life. It is dark and your body is at the whim of the water, your eyes see only small dots, interrupted now and again by a shelf of petrified mud or lime, crossing your vision like a shadowy cutout limb. Your hands are enveloped by the darkness, as is the rest of your body, we float together. <laughs> we were just listening to a work entitled Silicate, Silicate, Silicate. It was distributed similarly to an audio tour for the Tarawara Biennial. 2016. I'm Saskia Doherty. Uh, I just want to start by acknowledging that we are meeting on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri tribe um, and pay my respects to elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. As an introduction, I'm an, I'm a visual artist um, based in Melbourne. I work across a number of mediums, including sculpture, drawing, sound, performance and video. My work revolves around looking at the body from kind of poetic and metaphorical standpoints and 
considering how different systems, such as natural or economic or political, might be reflected in bodily systems. Tell me what, over the past few years, you have seen your practice to be about. What particular lines have you tried to follow? Why your interest in this subject matter that you investigate? And why cross-disciplinary practice? And what's the importance of sound in your work, if there is any important? So maybe I'll start by talking about uh, the last few works that I've shown, um, one of which yeah, is the piece that was played at the start of this interview and one which is similar in delivery but was a performance for a liquid architecture event called Capitalist Surrealism which was held in the Cleminger Auditorium of the National Gallery of Victoria in 2015. Both of them feature me uh, whispering different texts until I completely run out of breath and then kind of do a big like gasp and then continue on. So they're both quite sort of repetitive and claustrophobic in a way to listen to, probably more so with silicate, silicate, silicate. So I guess that's kind of been a new way of working for me. I guess I I started working in this way with with the like whispering and breathing and I think this kind of like open-ended gestures like breathing or walking have figured in other works and I guess I was reading a text by Brandon LaBelle called The Lexicon of the Mouth and he was kind of talking about whispering as this mode of communication that kind of obliterates one voice and turns it into breath I guess and that it is like it has various modes of address and kind of effect like it can be a sort of a privileged mode of information like you might whisper someone a secret Um, It's also got a history of being used as a form of resistance. So I guess like thinking about like the like the whispers of the underground, that kind of thing. Or um, like he gives an example of during the Second World War in Germany, people would people had these kind of whispered narratives or like jokes about the Nazis. And that was like, yeah, whispering was a mode of um, this kind of like resistant um, communication. And it's also kind of potentially quite menacing or it's sort of associated with like sort of ghostly kind of whisperings, I guess. Or it could be like amorous. Uh, So I guess, yeah, it's kind of, I find it quite interesting because it's it's so open-ended and kind of so familiar. So I was reading this text and he also talks about the mouth as kind of a cave. And I guess in, in past works, I've looked at geological sort of processes a bit looking at kind of subterranean spaces and how they can kind of catch memory through like fossils so it was interesting to yeah think about my mouth as a cave and then I was also thinking about ears as kind of like a set of intricate subterranean tunnels and then also thinking about like the tongue as an archive of sounds like that it is like the way that your muscles form in your tongue is in direct relationship to the sounds that your tongue makes into language yeah into language as this kind of more like intangible thing in a lot of ways but something that actually leaves like a direct physical imprint on a body on that organ I find it interesting also with your work with whispering that it can be misinterpreted as well like Chinese whispers for example yeah Um, can you tell us a bit about what you're actually using in that work what you're reading out so for capitalist surrealism the text I was reading out was a mining manual from, I believe it was published in 1920 in South Africa. So it was a translational guide from English to Fanicalo to Afrikaans. 
So it's kind of a list of very utilitarian words, I guess, which sort of relate to different demands on a body and bodily requirements, such as like food. So it's kind of, yeah, it's sort of quite brutally mechanical in the way that it, it implies and treats the bodies that would have been affected by those processes. Yeah. And so it was, yeah, it was read out quite quickly, like quite violently quickly, kind of like this like machine gun sort of tempo. In that instance, it's a list of words that relates very directly to drawing things out of the earth. So silicate, silicate, silicate was uh, slightly different in that it it's the text that I wrote, but also sections of text from kind of textbooks, science textbooks, things like that. And also, yeah, just annotations of some images. But essentially, it's a text that I wrote or drew together, which kind of recounts a set of images which are not present in the exhibition, which relate variously to either bodies being consumed by geological processes or bodies consuming uh, geological material or matter in different ways. One example in it which actually doesn't, which is kind of like relates to a dream image I guess, which is where the title comes from, is me recounting a dream I had where I was inhaling concrete dust and all I could say like in this dream was silicate over and over again and no one could understand what I was saying. But anyway that's probably not, that's probably less emblematic as an example. An example is there's, which doesn't relate to a concrete image actually, but is just like a little vignette of um, the creation of gunpowder in China by alchemists who were looking to extend, like to become immortal and as a side effect created gunpowder, which apparently like it made its kind of birthplace explode, like it exploded the, it exploded the structure in which it was created and that kind of leads into or the bit before that talks about the process of making charcoal in an earthen kiln and charcoal being or charcoal being composed of a bunch of different materials but the thing that turns it into charcoal is that moment of kind of transformation through fire. So I guess yeah, it focuses on these specific moments which capture like a transformation in state. So another one in there is talks about a, like a crime scene photographer, a photograph of a crime scene photographer, picturing presumably a dead body which is out of frame, and that being caught in like the silver halides of the of the image and that flash of the photo. Can you tell tell me a bit about the way that you isolate sound or isolate a sense? Is there anything in that that you are trying to do? When I actually listened to your work live, it felt like you know I was suffocating, but it was only this one sense that was being isolated and maybe the other senses were like, they were either cut off or they were being amplified by the, the like heightening of one sense. Yes, like I think that that is, yeah, that is an intended thing in that work where it's kind of this like, it's like having a voice in your head. That's a funny thing, but I think in a lot of ways actually that recording into a dictaphone is perhaps the idea occurred to me because my dad is a psychiatrist and I can kind of like hear this, like when I was living at his house I could hear this whisper in the next room of him kind of doing his case notes on people, like I couldn't hear what he was saying, but I think that there's, in a funny way, yeah, the idea sort of comes from that, you know, not in that conscious of a sense but when I think about it now I work which I guess gets back to your first question 
a little bit in terms of why cross-disciplinary. I find that the way that I work, I sort of like move from medium to medium in quite a... Clear-cut. Yeah, like it's quite... Like there's a sculpture work and there's an installation work and there's a drawing work and they're quite like... They feel quite separate. Yeah, and so I think that in a lot of ways that sound work is kind of feels like the end point of that almost where there is like physicality to the work in that it's on an audio player and it's it's a digital file and but I think that maybe that is the end point of like removing forms for the work where it's like the final cycle or something and I think in in terms of um that thing of thinking about the tongue as an archive that is kind of an end point of working with archival images and materials for a long time and finding the representation of those materials not necessarily problematic but feeling that I need to problematize it more or something like not just yeah represent it yeah yeah not just represent it and not just because you've worked with archives before yeah can you tell us quickly about how you've worked with archives and your previous work yeah um so I could talk about two works for that, maybe. Um, the first kind of, like, and maybe the most straight-up example of just, like, creating a form that is recognisable as an archive is so, uh, a work that I had envisaged as being kind of ongoing, which is called um, Contents for a Time Capsule. And that's, like, a, yeah, a vitrine, and it has images which are all of people digging or animals digging, or kind of, yeah, extrapolated processes of digging. So it's kind of like, it's kind of a hopeless object, I guess, because it will never, like, it's an art object, so it it will ostensibly never be buried, and if it were buried, the thing that would be retrieved from it when it came out of the earth would only be images of the process it took to get it out of the earth, which I guess is a way of signalling that archives are not to be trusted, because they're tools of of power. Yeah, propaganda and power, exactly. That's the first kind of example of a work that I've made that's that's used archives in that like in that kind of direct way. Also, um, Footfalls, which was shown in concrete at Mama and then again in 2015 at Topane i Amere in Istanbul. Istanbul. Uh, so that that was a more expanded way of using an archival image, and the image for that is. Uh, Dr. Barnum Brown, who was like a very famous um, paleontologist with the American Natural History Museum in the 20th century, and was also apparently an oil spy. So he would scope out oil deposits under the guise of finding dinosaur bones. So the image for that is him discovering a fossilized dinosaur footprint in the roof of a coal mine, and it's quite a strange photograph in that he's reaching up and kind of measuring this footprint from the bottom that footprint is kind of yet indefinitely suspended and is only revealed through this incredibly exhaustive extraction of that coal seam and that coal is in turn created by like pressure from dinosaur footprints and different eras of life trampling it down to become coal and it becomes coal at the point where all air is extracted from it so that again kind of gets back to that interest in like breathing and what a breath might mean in terms of humans but also in terms of like earth-based processes that was presented as a screen print and then there was uh nine 
concrete casts with a text across them. And the text is partially written by me and partially uh, extracted stage prompts from the Samuel Beckett play Footfalls, which centres on these... There's one character on stage, one character off stage. And the character on stage is this kind of ghostly figure that is sort of brought to life through these nine footsteps that she takes back and forward. So that becomes this kind of choreography for the work, which has that this kind of like cyclicality to it, which I'm also interested in in that in breathing and or yeah relates to that kind of those kind of cyclical processes of the body that I kind of revisit. It also relates to time, which I think like your work spans temporalities yeah. a lot, and you look at different ways that things have been represented through time or looking at processes and history. Do you want to tell me what role time plays in your work? I think that in terms of those images that are in Silicate, Silicate, Silicate and also in Footfalls, um, quite interested in these moments where memory freezes and becomes caught in either a photograph or a fossil or a word. But, yeah, I think that there's, there's kind of different ways that that plays out across. across my practice. But I guess in the past it has been more based in kind of geological processes and also thinking about analogue photography as being kind of a geological process as well. At the moment, I'm kind of thinking about the imaging of bodies and how that might... Medical imaging of bodies and how that also happens there. So something I'm quite interested in at the moment is, like, how MRIs work which is they so they work on hydrogen so that they're like they focus on them because they're ubiquitous in fat and water we have a lot of both of those things in our bodies and they all have a magnetic pole like the earth and they're normally arranged in random formation so when a body goes into an MRI machine it subjects it to a really strong magnetic field which draws all of those atoms into a single vector and then it cuts it with a radio wave. And then the hydrogen returns to like its heterogeneous resting state and that the time that the different time that it takes in different tissues of the body is what builds up that image. It's really it's kind of really sort of traumatic process of photography or something. Like it's And very invasive. Yeah, yeah, like it's literally realigning your body on a molecular level. I've just been researching kind of different forms of that, I guess. Also in terms of like ceramic processes, there's a particular temperature between 200 and 220 degrees where, yeah, all of the components in the clay align and solidify and that's like, or solidify in that formation and that's very important point in in like the vitrification of the object so I guess that the like with the sound works I think there's lots of reasons to be skeptical of like taking information from archives I'm skeptical of what happens in that moment of of like memory being captured in a static form and so I guess in the sound works it feels like that is kind of negated to an extent because whispering has that quality of a rumor or a voice in your head or something it's sort of not to be trusted and it's kind of more in flux I mean I guess it is a static form because it's recorded and that Mm. yeah and I guess in the way that I've used clay as well I've not done any sculptures with clay that have been fired because I like the idea that the clay can be wetted down again to just become uh to undo its form so it's kind of it's in flux (laughs) 
Unpodcast. You're listening to the Unpodcast. Saskia Doherty has been introducing us to her use of language and her interest in remaking our ideas around archives and her use of materials. Next up, Saskia will tell us about one of her works, Touchstone. To see an image of this work, head to unprojects.org.au. I had a work at Westspace in 2014 called Touchstone Lot's Wife, which was kind of extrapolated from the... So there's a rock near the Dead Sea, which is supposed to be Lot's wife, which is a biblical story in which Sodom and Gomorrah are burnt by God and Lot and his family are allowed to leave on the condition that they don't look back at the city and Lot's wife looks back and she's turned into a pillar of salt. I was kind of researching different geological formations that have been named after Lot's wife and it's quite common in uh, subterranean cave systems and people would use that as like a locational kind of beacon so I quite like that yeah she's sort of restrained in this biblical story to this one rock and yet it's as if sort of her figure has found a way to like sort of bilocate and appear in other systems so I collected quite a lot of archival images of those formations, which were in a, a book. But the main component of the work was was a number of ceramic forms, unfired ceramic forms, which I built in the gallery and which my thumb marks are very present in them. And they they dried over the process of the month from the top down. So it was like... Of the month being exhibited? Yes. It was month. being, yeah. Yes, it was, yeah, the month it was being exhibited. I guess it was like a metaphorical or poetic way of kind of further extracting this female figure caught in the rock into a form that is, is malleable, is not static, registers a woman's touch, I guess, and appears for a moment and returns to the earth. Particularly kind of unfired clay is, is a metaphor for fallible and impermanent bodies. And I feel like, yeah. Or impermanent yeah. time or impermanent history. Yeah, and like, I think that, yeah, the spoken word is, or also has that quality for me. Yeah, like I guess in thinking about archives, like I was quite, I remember, yeah, in there's like a great bit in Archive Fever um, by Derrida where he talks about Freud's, like the death drive, which was like a, theory that Freud came up with and then kind of dispensed of very quickly because it sort of undid his entire theory of yeah of like psychoanalysis but um Derrida like talks about he goes back and talks about ancient Greek kind of conceptions of memory Plato's conception of memory where there's like living memory and then there's memory captured in static form and that that the idea is that that kills the memory and then there's the bit between that which is speaking essentially and that is um kind of like between the living and the dead memory because it's still in contact with the body so it can be altered and changed yeah and it's not static I guess it seems like I I, yeah I guess it's interesting to think about that in terms of um like oral history as well yeah exactly especially yeah in um in yeah in a country like Australia where there's such a long and rich history of um, oral history compared to, yeah, like this static written, you know, accounts of the land that I live on. I mean, yeah, that, that 
that written history, like the, the history that I learn in school, is yeah literally there to obliterate spoken oral Indigenous histories and ways of knowing a place. So I, yeah, and that's yeah specific to the place where I live and and me inhabiting that and and being a part of that as well, you know, perpetuating that by yeah living as an uninvited settler. Can you tell me about the ways that you use whispering and breathing as a way to undo or realign interpretations of history or interpretations of moments? Yeah, so it's imagined as an ongoing... I intend to use it as an ongoing mode of delivery of different texts. So I guess I've sort of got it in the back of my head when I'm reading stuff. And I mean, something that I was reading yesterday is like, the new citizenship test which is being proposed for Australian yeah Australia. Australian which kind of reads like it could have been written by someone from the coal industry like there's a lot of stuff in it which is really really complicated like multi-choice questions that are very leading very misleading about so-called clean coal and yeah it's crazy that they put that in the citizenship test yeah there's a really long i think in the reading comprehension part there's like a very very long like a one half page kind of essay about clean coal and different types of gasification methods and stuff and so this is like if you want to be an australian yeah if you want to be like a so-called australian then you better like get on get on board with clean coal kind of thing Um, You're listening to Unpodcast episode two with Saskia Doherty. In this part of the interview, I noticed a spherical object that looked almost like a a styrofoam ball in the artist's studio where this interview took place. Here, Saskia tells me what it actually is. That's from a, it's, I had a show at the substation and it was these salt balls that were covered in clay. And why salt? Yeah. Is that a reference to Lot's wife again? Yeah, well, I think it, yeah, I think it comes out of that. So that is a remnant from... It's the only whole remaining remnant from a show I had at Substation, which was, like, there were compacted balls of salt that were covered in clay, and then the clay... Uh, the salt kind of leaches out through the clay, and there was a video that went with it, which was kind of close-up still photographs of those objects and they look like planets or sort of molecules. So the sculptures were out there and then there was the video and it was, they seemed like different. There was like a disconnect between the thing itself and how it looks in the video, I guess, in a simple sense. That show was completely destroyed by a group of Boy Scouts from over the road. They snuck into the gallery and, yeah, just like exploded like like just like through and like exploded all of the sculptures which is quite amazing the sculptures were there were I cracked a couple of them on the ground so it was kind of like an invitation I guess I can totally understand why a group of boy scouts would have broken all of those sculptures and I just wish there'd been some like video of it or something really this is like that was the only remaining intact salt ball from that and it was covered in clay it was covered in clay so originally what I wanted to do was that I wanted to I wanted the salt to break the clay as the clay dried and contracted but instead the salt cured the clay and started to leach through the skin and then so that that became the 
the reason for making the video that went with it. So it was like totally unintended and quite cool mm. material process. So it feels like that kind of, that salt ball is what I originally wanted, I think. And it only came to fruition through this like very elaborate sort of casting process involving a group of Boy Scouts and like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so that's the kind of, like the final little particle of that exhibition. So I'm quite fond of it. The touch that's registered in that is through clay as well. It's not, yeah, it's not actually my finger, I guess. It's like pressure from the clay, which is nice. Or it kind of like, I feel like it's got a similarity to that dinosaur footprint in footfalls where it's not, it's not really a footprint. Like it's like the, it's the bottom of a footprint. Yeah. It's kind of a foot, but like, it's not, yeah, it's the absence of a foot. It looks like a planet, a salt ball. Yeah. It does. And it's sort of, yeah, it's very, it's very fragile, I think. I don't know. That's why it's kind of sitting How's it there. sticking together? I, it's just, I, I don't know. I think it's just, I don't really it's know. It's just salt. It's just salt. Yeah. It's crazy. It's just salt. <laughs> that uh, salt ball is kind of like, I mean, it feels like one of those moments of, like, of transformation or capture or, which come about through, like, quite a violent process which feels related to like how the MRI works or something like where you know things are disrupted and then a form is created out of that which is static. It reminds me of another picture that you have on your wall here of a man with a huge hammer getting at bells. (laughs) Do you want to tell me a little bit about that drawing? That's kind of related to like I wrote something in um, 10.1 which I feel a bit ambivalent about as a piece of writing but thinking about bells as an analogy for human speech and particularly human like dec- like speech or decrees related to institutional power um, which is it's used by the church it's used in schools it's used as a timekeeper also to signal like a birth or a death officially and it's been used to dispel ghosts as well and also to yeah like to yeah, to kind of ward off evil spirits, um, like in England, in the context of kind of farming practices and things like that. Ah, uh, he's breaking them. So that, yeah, in that image, that's, they're being broken down to become new bells. So they've, they, they re-smelt them and then recreate bells, which is just a very weird idea, I guess. And I mean, they're kind of, yeah, I guess it's just a sketch that I did because I thought it was quite a strange image and it's sort of strange to think about bells as being these cast objects that are made of metal and kind of yeah realized in clay but and then us yeah sort of imbued with communicational power you're listening to the unpodcast do you want to tell me about the work that you've been making recently the work I'm making now, um, which will be shown at Signal at the end of the year in Melbourne, is towards a video, and I'm working on a series of clay sort of sculptures, but also props in a sense. They'll become uh, lenses for a camera, so a camera will be inside them, looking out, and they sort of look in turn like a mouth or an eye or like an anus or something so that yeah they're imagined as as kind of like 
different bodily orifices. They take the shape of um, either cross-sections of the human body or organisms which might live in the human body. So specifically, the one I'm working on at the moment is modelled on um, the shape of a tapeworm, which also, a tapeworm's head, which also looks quite a lot like a female bust. Um, yeah, so it's loosely, at the moment, It's um, it will be a video that uses these props and I think will attempt to construct the interior of a body which these objects will travel through, which will loosely track the vagus nerve. One of its functions is that it connects the stomach to the brain um, and there's there's ongoing research into into stuff to do with the stomach, but it's been argued that the neural activity is so prolific in the gut that it could be classed as a second brain. And so the vagus nerve carries carries information from the gut brain to the head brain. Yeah, so it'll, it loosely tracks that as a journey. That was Saskia Doherty talking about her exhibition at Signal in Melbourne in late 2017. You can find out more about Saskia's work at her website, which is saskiadoherty.net. This was the second episode of The Young Podcast, which is a monthly podcast that gets deep into an individual's art practice during each episode. You can listen in on the UN website, on SoundCloud, or on iTunes. All the images are available at unprojects.org.au. All the music you heard is by Andrew McClellan. We're going to go out with another excerpt from Saskia's work, Silicate, Silicate, Silicate. My name's Sarah, and I'll catch you next time. The star begins to white background, the bones are black and spectral in tone, the small areas of muscle tissue that register in the print look like smoke stains, but then there are all these little black dots dispersed throughout, milling closely about the bones, they have the appearance of a swarm of bugs crawling over the hand, devouring it like piranhas. <laughs> in fact, they are small rounds of gunshots sustained during a hunting accident, when a pot is being thrown on the kick wheel, the rhythm of the pot is whole body dispersed. Directs the speed of the wheel and the growth of the pot. A guy sits at a pottery wheel, looking down at the pot. He is turning. He has mostly disappeared into the carbon of the photocopy. <gasps> so that the black composing his shadowed face and body leaks along his outstretched hands and into the pot, and there is no separation between the two. The brick wall behind him joins in carbon from carbo or charcoal prehistoric. Three substances are laid out upon a blue background. <gasps> Each a different category of matter, graphite, charcoal. Together they represent carbon as it appears in its natural distilled form. The charcoal forms a tiny mound, jet black with, and with a slight sheen, next to the dazzling whiteness of the diamond, a small cylindrical <sighs> piece of granite adorns the top right part of the photograph. It's funny to look at these humble little objects to think they are the purified form of a substance that composes our own bodies. They don't look that familiar to me, but maybe I'm stuck in a blind spot, knowing the secret ways of the wind and the rain, dug deep into the and found the rocks and learned the histories, muscle and stone, man. <laughs> Sits preaching the world on his shoulders, thin onion skin paper, picture atlas, illustrated maps of all the countries with thousands of pictures. A picture is worth a thousand words, not victorious, odious, strung down, crushed, stone eyes glare out, devoid of pupils. Section 2. <laughs> Group 12, torn inches, a young hand over cool stone, white Victoriana clashes with volcanic rock, the strings are white against the black hollow man-made cave hanging like spectres sunken shouldered except for an occasional flash of tailoring <gasps> they kind of look like they're being raptured
injured either that or marionettes, cages hold the shoes, the effigies are saved from the sword, the shape of bodies with none to speak of, angels in the dark, oh Miranda, I feel awful, really awful, I feel perfectly awful, Miranda, when are we going home? <laughs> my throat is a doomed or rolling shot, my fingers swell, the intricate cavities of my ears begin to cave in, ringing, beside the retaining wall of the cannon foundry, I fumble for a foothold, everything begins and ends at exactly the right time and place on the screen. 